right, welcome back to a new episode of the Seven Lakes Sports Podcast. It's a victory episode. If you were there on Legacy, uh, at Legacy Stadium on Thursday night, you were treated, uh, first of all, you were treated to a late night. Uh, but second of all, it was a beautiful game. Coach, can you, f- let's talk about the logistics of it. You get out there, you're warming up, you know, the, the, the game time's already been moved back because of the heat, so you're getting a little late start already. And then as you're warming up, you get the first call to head back into the locker room because of lightning in the area. Just talk about what guide us through. What is that? What's that like in a locker room for players and coaches in that, in that situation? Uh, it's nerve wracking because, you know, especially in game one, you just, it's been so while, so long since you've played, you're looking to play. You've waited all day to do it. You already know you're going to start at eight 15. You're more than halfway through warmups and, and then you get taken off the field and, you know, it took us another over an hour to get back out on the field and, then you're kicking off after nine. Um, then to only play, I think we had seven twenty-eight left in the first quarter. Whenever the, whenever the uh, lightning hit again, and so right. then we're waiting again. Um, so that that was really nerve-wracking, uh, but I think our kids overcame that adversity really well. Uh, did a great job in the locker room, staying focused, um, just kind of waiting and seeing what was going to happen and. You know, we were willing to wait as long as we needed to to play, but it was a school night. So I think we yeah. you know, had to take that in consideration, too. That's one thing we were wondering about upstairs. Is there a UIL rule? Like, is it midnight or something? Is there some kind of rule as far as when you can no longer restart games or something like that? I think anything after 10, you know, you couldn't start by UIL rule. You know, that was kind of our drop dead time, too. At 10 o'clock, we were getting word from the higher ups in the district that we may not wait it out till 10 o'clock for a start time on a Thursday night. Sure. So some, sometimes, you know, in the playoffs, if you were to do that, you know, as long as you start that day, 1159 that night, you, you can play that game wow. a little bit different in the regular season, especially different on a school night. So would you, would you imagine it'd be like a Saturday at 9am would have been the alternative had you not been able to play? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, it probably wouldn't have been the alternative for us since we were playing Klein this week on a Thursday. I, I, would, I don't know if I would have felt comfortable doing that Saturday sure. to Thursday turnaround. I would have been interested in a Friday night neutral site, you know, if we could find one in the area. Um, I don't, you know, Saturday morning would have been an option too. I think it would have been a more reasonable option if we didn't already play on Thursday this coming week. Fascinating stuff. And one more just logistical question for fans who are watching. I noticed after the, the second uh, stoppage and then at halftime, the guys pretty much just came out onto the sideline and played. So were you guys like warming up in the staging area back there? Or where did the warm-ups happen? We really didn't warm back up when we came back out. I mean, you know, I know you were in the box yeah. calling the game, but it, it was extremely hot and humid. We yeah, felt, yeah. I mean, we were still sweating. Right, you know, right, right, right. It felt really loose and limber um, coming back out. And, um, so, you know, we didn't have – it just was a solid – so it's such a different feel. You know, our band had left at halftime, so we didn't have, like, the, the tunnel and the run-out uh, songs. And so we came out ready to play. We had such a shortened halftime because it, it was so late. Um, so we just came out and, and played. But honestly, for, for 10 minutes of, of rest, you know, I think that's not abnormal to have, like, a really long drive on offense and your defense is waiting yeah. 10 minutes to play. You know, so it's, it wasn't that different. And, and our guys were still kind of, you know, limber and loose from, from how hot and humid it was. Sure, and Memorial did the same thing. They also did not, you know, return for a warm-up. They went straight to the field. So I think you guys made the right decision for all those reasons. And plus, like you said, it was worth it to stay in the AC. I thought, you, I thought both teams did a good job with minimal cramping. Yes, there was some, but I've seen games much worse in the past with way more stoppages for cramping. So kudos to both you and Gary, you know, for having a good preseason camp. And your kids, your kids appeared to be in shape for sure. 
Yeah, I, I was really pleased with that. Something that you're always worried about, you know, the first three or four weeks is, you know, are my guys in playing shape? Because as much as you condition, there's nothing like playing a game. Um, and I was really proud of them for that and really didn't uh, impact the game, you know, with much stoppage and, and really didn't impact the ability of what players were able to get in the game either. Coach, let's dive into the game now. Enough, 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 enough of the pleasantries. Let's dive into the meat and potatoes. The first play, and I don't know if Spartan Nation knows this. If you're ever in the stands, you're complaining about play calling. <laughs> it's Coach Hammond who's calling the plays this year. And, man, I thought you did a masterful job. I got to ask you this. Dialing up play action of a first-time uh, first quarter, uh, first-time starter, only a sophomore. May not even have a driver's license yet. I don't know how old Sean Patel is. He's just a sophomore. What prompted you to say, yeah, we're going to go ahead and dial up a shot on the first play of the season. I mean, talk to me about that, Coach. Was that something that it came to you in a dream, or were you planning it all week? <laughs> we had it We had it schemed up on Sunday last week. Yeah. Uh, our receivers coach, Robert Coy, uh, came in the room, and he said, I got a play that's going to score on the on the first one. You know, we Atta run boy this Coy. Right there you go. Yeah. Opening drive, and his, uh, his prediction came true. He drew it up, a play-action shot play. Um, and it, it was it was it was a great scheme. But I think, you know, for us, you know, we always try to think about what have we done? What have we shown? What have we been good at previously? And then how can we use that against the defense? And we had shown against Dickinson we could run the jet sweep. So a play action off the jet sweep seemed logical that they were going to be keyed keyed on the jet sweep. And, and uh, you know, we got enough separation there to, to get to get Ryan Fowler the uh, touchdown pass. And I want to talk a little about Sean Patel. All the guys up in the booth were were raving, and you know, I actually I actually was a part of the memorial broadcast that night because I do a little bit of both with some vibes and text and laughs. I was actually working with some memorial parents on their broadcast there, and they were just blown away with Sean Patel. You know, first time starter. And one of the things that really stood out to me, and this was later in the game, but I noticed a lot of time with younger quarterbacks, they don't always understand time and situation. For instance, in a time where you want to slow down and milk the clock, a lot of times they'll snap it with twenty seconds left on the play clock. Sean had a very deliberate style, very calm, seemed like nothing really flustered him. He was moving at his own comfortable pace and controlling the clock the way that I knew that Coach Hammond had instructed him to. Can you just talk, so let alone the arm, let alone the 80-yard touchdown pass, can you talk about some of those, uh, I guess you call me uh, intangibles, you know, that, that such a young player possesses? It's, it's, it's kind of a little bit unusual for a sophomore to have that kind of control. It's really unique, you know, uh, for a sophomore to have such a grasp of the game of football. He has a really high football IQ is what a lot of times you, you hear it called. Uh, you know, there are times when uh, he, he can fix a play for you as a sophomore. Mm. You know, if you were to say maybe so, you put it in a formation where it should have gone left, but you said it should, you know, you called it to the right. He can fix it for you. Uh, he understands where the play clock is, you know, coming off a freshman team where you're not really you're not getting a look at a play clock in, in a big stadium like that. Um, he's cool and calm under pressure. Uh, he, he and he's able to tell you what he sees. And sometimes, you know, that, that may seem like, well, you, you should be able to tell you what you see, but some, it's such a blur sometimes. Um, you know, he's able to tell you what the defense is doing, not just what his players did or why he threw the ball somewhere. So, you know, that, it's really nice. I mean, really, really surprised me um, of his IQ in the, his first varsity football game. You know, we had seen it in practice. We had seen it as a freshman, but um, to see it, to see it in our first varsity football game in a really like intense game um, is something to be noted. Another thing that's taken for granted for quarterbacks and coach, you played quarterback, you were the quarterback for the, uh, you know, the Rayburn Texans back in your day, but ball handling. 
I noticed that on the first play, and Coach Dober and I were talking after the game. He <laughs> joked about it. The ball handling to fake a jet sweep, fake to the running back, and then set up and let it go down the field. That's not – I mean, I think of like a Brett Favre. Just kind of did the magician with the ball, you know, carrying out your fake, hiding the ball in certain situations. He, he did that. So I know we've spoken ad nauseum about Sean, so great start for him. But it was another sophomore that you dialed up to be the recipient of that. So – for fans of the Spartans, that, that's a connection we may see potentially for the next three years. But can you talk about the, you know, just a Ryan Fowler and his ability to get behind the defense there and haul that in? I mean, it's, it's never easy in your first varsity pass to, to haul it in, and he did it for a touchdown. So can you talk about that that connection there? Yeah, you know, Ryan and Sean have been playing together for a little while now, and they do they do some seven on seven stuff together uh, outside of school. Uh, um, and so, you know, obviously they have a little bit of a connection, you know, Ryan, Ryan's got good speed. We felt like he runs good routes. You know, we put him on a post route on that particular play, felt like he could it, he could get inside his cornerback and over the top of the safety. We felt like the safety was going to bite down on the jet sweep and he got enough separation. Sean put the ball in where he could catch it. Um, and he ran it, ran underneath it and, you know, separated from the defender and ended up scoring uh, with ease. So coach, you get the touchdown. After a little bit of a down season last year, you could tell the team was just ecstatic to to score on the first play. The entire team runs down and celebrates. You get a, you get a penalty for that. I got to ask you, man, and I'm sure the fans are kind of chuckling and smiling of this. If I know you, you 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 were not happy with that. I mean, great, we scored a touchdown, but it's a lo- I can almost hear you saying in my ears, it's a long game. You know, that penalty is going to come back to hurt us. And, and it kind of did. We'll get to that in a second. But can you just talk about that? Just that balance of the, the you know, just the excitement of such an emotional play on the first play, but also making sure you understand how to celebrate and, and, and not getting penalties like that. Yeah. So uh, for those that weren't there, you know, the, there's a the players and coaches can go between each 25 in between the 25 yard lines of players are allowed to be there. Coaches are allowed to be there. We're all players round out ran down and they didn't run on the field luckily but Correct. they did run yep. down the sideline yep. towards the goal line celebrating it seemed like when one did it they all followed sure. and um, you know we know we well I should say we should know better than that that was the first play of the season uh, yeah. something I honestly can say that they did not talk about uh, and yep. now we can definitely talk about <laughs> not to do that and you're right it did come back and bite us a little bit um, I, and I know you're going to bring that up in a second but you know I like it's kind of double-edged sword right you're ex- you're you're happy that your players are excited and in the game and want yeah. to celebrate with their teammates but on the flip side you know to give up 15 yard penalty on this on the first play of the game that's going to hurt your special teams you know is something that's hard as a coach to 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 be okay with um so you know i wasn't uh, obviously in the moment i was really upset i was like it took away the the feeling of sure. a, great, yeah. a great play of just being upset that we got a a penalty right after what was that going to do to us down the road and you know you can ask me the question you want to ask but you know definitely hurt us on the next play well yeah and i mean and and you know don't beat yourself up jimmy i'm sure none no none of us head coaches have that practiced of how to celebrate properly but we can add it to your list but i will tell you man as a former administrator myself you know i watch for things differently i'll give your i'll give your uh your staff credit and lance carter is going to love this at the end of the game your entire staff immediately turned around and faced your players and made sure nobody was like running onto the field or anything. So I can tell you've practiced that because I, I just saw all of the coaches went into position. So kudos to you. That that's excellent. I'm sure that's something you've worked on. I'm sure people like Lance Carter appreciate that, but let's, let's talk about kind of the bad here. The ecstasy of the first play, 
But that now that that penalty sets you back, and so now you don't get the kind of depth that you want. The ball ends up getting you know received by Memorial in, in great starting field position, but then beyond that, they house it. And so in the first, essentially the first three plays of the game, we have two touchdowns scored. Can you talk about that? And you know, you and I are old friends, but I'm a hard hitting journalist, so I got to talk about some things that I see. They seem like they had a big edge in the return. Uh, their return versus our coverage seemed like something that on two occasions led to big plays. I know that's something you're going to address, but can you speak to, number one, just that emotional roller coaster, and then number two, kind of what are you seeing to address just making sure that the coverage is better going into this, this next week against Klein? Yeah, you know, you're right. We, we do need to work on our kickoff and punt coverage. I think, you know, being early in the year and you haven't done it live you know, pull to the ground, you know, you do it in practice, but, you know, kickoff's one of those things that because it's a more high collision, you you don't want to do it at full speed to the ground against your own guys a lot. Right. You know, so, you know, we've, we've done it, but now we have film on it. I, I don't think we covered the between the hashes very well. I think we got out of our lanes a little bit, avoided in the wrong direction on the left side, especially yep. um, uh, uh, left side of our kickoff team. And I think that that hurt us a little bit and, and it, and it kind of gave us that gaping hole that right down the right down, right between the hashes that hurt later on in a punt, we had a similar situation. Um, we got better on the punt, the punt as it went, but the first two, you know, coverage units, uh, we're not our, we're not our best work. Um, and unfortunately that came back to bite us with the, with that touchdown. And, you know, for me, I was thinking, you work so hard all week to get that play and it actually works and you give it right back. And now it's zero, zero again. Sure, and it was sure. like, it feels like all for naught, you know, like, okay, well, we're going to have to, you know, that we don't have the advantage. We thought we were going to have just about a minute ago, you know? So. Well, and the good thing for fans listening, like, like coach said, when he went back and looked at the film, it's just a question of avoiding everyone needs to avoid to the correct side. And that's very fixable. So I'm very optimistic that will be fixed going into next week, but you get up off the mat, so to speak. And, you deliver from my memory. This was what I would call kind of a soul sucking back breaking drive. It was a long drive. The guys up in the booth were all talking about it. You just were incredibly physical on this drive. This is where you got to unveil kind of some of what you've been working on as a play caller in terms of you do things that are kind of unique in 2023 by typically always having a fullback and tight end for the most part, tons of motion, different personnel groupings. You know, it's not the spread like everyone, you know, a lot of other teams run and Memorial really struggled to line up and stop that. And so you had a long drive capped off by a three yard rushing touchdown by Jake Ferris. But that drive to me kind of set the tone for the game and maybe even for the rest of your season, as far as our, our long-term goals of getting back to the playoffs. Talk about that drive, Jimmy. It just, it really was kind of a thing of beauty. Yeah. I didn't realize until we scored, I looked up at the clock to, you know, to see the score that I think if I remember correctly, we had a, like a little over seven minutes on the clock when that started. And I think by the time it ended, it was a, it was under a minute, maybe 30 yeah. seconds. And so it was like a six and a half, maybe seven minute drive. And I, I was surprised. I didn't realize we, we chewed up that much clock. I realized we were being methodical. I realized that we were moving the ball at a decent clip, but I didn't realize how much time we had taken off the clock. And to look up, I think a, to look up and to be 14, seven right there was really nice. I think, our offensive line did a great job being physical. I think we mixed it up, you know, running past enough to keep everybody honest. And I mean, we used both our backs throughout that that drive because it was a longer drive and, you know, ran the ball quite a few times. Credit to Memorial. You know, I called it a back-breaking drive, but it, it didn't break their spirits. And they come back 
one of the most difficult routes to cover. And when fans see guys running open down the sideline, it's usually just think to yourself, it was probably a wheel route. This is just so incredibly hard to cover when you have a speedy back coming out of the backfield and just continuing up that sideline. They had a speedster, Cooper Gindorf. He's able to get free from the defense. When you go back and look at the film, as you guys did this morning, was that just something where there was just a mistake in the coverage? Or what led to the Cooper Gindorf, um, I believe it was an 80, uh, 85-yard touchdown reception? Yeah, we, our eye discipline was, was yeah. uh, not in the right place. You know, or the the linebacker responsible for the for the wheel out of the backfield just kind of lost track of where where that running back was as he came out of the backfield because his eyes were on the quarterback. And by the time he realized, oh, there he is, he's already three steps behind, and it's going to be hard to catch a guy like him. Uh, quarterback made a great throw uh, right on the money, and it, it was too much for us to handle that on that particular play. So at the end of the first quarter, Jimmy. And first of all, it was super late at night by this time. I don't remember what time it was, but the first quarter took a long time for all the scoring and all the delays, but it's 14 to 14 at the end of one quarter. This game traditionally is like a 17 to 13 affair. And so it just was incredible to have that much scoring in this kind of matchup. I'm just curious, your thoughts after one. Well, just quick temperature check, Jimmy. What, what were you feeling after one quarter of play? Well, this game's going either way. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't know how many points I thought the that- I didn't know what the final would be, but it's like, all right, we're so evenly matched. Just, this can go either way. And let's just, you know, let's keep giving them like, let's keep giving them body blows on offense and let's, let's wear them down so that later in the third and fourth quarter, that's going to come back to, to, you know, pay dividends for us. And that was kind of the thought process. We felt like we could play physically with them. Um, and then we just needed to shore up a couple things defensively. And we felt like we could, we could handle them that way too. Agreed. And both defenses settled in in the second quarter. It was much more of a defensive affair by that point. Only one touchdown was scored. It was by us. And it was a guy you mentioned in our in our preseason uh, preview show, Peter Noonan, the sophomore tight end, is able to haul in his first career touchdown pass. So you got some sophomore receivers hauling in their first career touchdowns uh, with, with him and Fowler. But talk about that. Talk about what led to the uh, the design of that play and the execution. Actually, a broken play. We designed a uh... We had kind of a we had twins to the left, and we were running a double slant concept with a flat route coming out of the backfield. Uh, Sean, I guess, didn't like what he saw. I mean, uh, I was watching the routes develop, so I, I, uh, when I watched it back on film, he got a little bit of pressure. He escaped to his right. Uh, we were in a we we're in a nub tight inside set, so Peter was the only one on that side. Peter broke off his route, you know, got himself open in kind of a scramble drill. Uh, Sean found him in the in the corner of the end zone. And then so going into halftime, uh, you're up by seven. The third quarter, again, a defensive affair. I had no points scored in the third quarter. Both teams really starting to settle in. In the fourth quarter, that's when Memorial does mount a comeback. We score first, uh, I believe. No, 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 no. So they were able to score 14 unanswered in that fourth quarter. Let's talk about that momentum shift. Because we had a seven-point lead. Again, we have our two-headed monster of Hudson and Ferris doing its job. It feels like you're, you're landing those body blows. And I started feeling like we're going we're gonna to extend and win this game. Credit to Memorial. This is why you schedule them every year. They are a game opponent. They will not quit. They score two and answered, and they pull ahead. Talk about what, what you felt was the temperature of your sideline, Jimmy. Did you, did you start seeing heads hanging? Or was it kind of a here-we-go-again kind of thing? Or, or, or what, what was the mood when Memorial stormed back into the lead? Yeah, so when when they went up 28-21, it was it was a little bit of like, oh, it was a little bit of we've seen this before, mm. you know. And and so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, who is this team going to be? Because last year's right. team is no longer here. 
right? What is this team, this year's team we're going to do? And as I look down the sideline, I see Barrett Hudson specifically, one of our captains this year, yeah. you know, firing up the, the sideline to get back in the game because we, we have time. Right. We've yeah. moved the ball. We're not, we're, we're not like we're uh, not able to score again. Uh, and it was nice to, to see us actually do that. Now, looking at, at the stats here, the, the next touchdown that we scored it to, uh, to send the game uh, into overtime uh, was actually by Carter Hatton, your other tight end. So this is cool. I mean, th this is something a lot of teams don't, aren't able to do this with multiple tight ends uh, scoring touchdowns. I think that's a really great competitive advantage. And so talk about that. Talk about the ability for you to, to play with two tight ends. Yeah, so as you mentioned earlier, we tend to be a team that's going to play with uh, a tight end and a fullback, or for us, two tight ends. I, very rare. I mean, sometimes you'll you'll see us with only one tight end through receivers. Those are kind of like our sets, you know, what what you would call 21, 12, and 11 personnel. We kind of live right there. Um, but, you know, we feel like at Seven Lakes, the, the kind of guys we get are fullback, tight end type, linebacker types, and we try to utilize the, the type of players that we get. Um, and, and run an offense and defensive scheme that will, uh, you know, utilize their talents. And we have, you know, two guys that can get the job done because they can they can block and they can they can pass. And that's what makes I mean, uh, receive. And that's what makes, you know, playing with two tight ends or a tight end a fullback nice because it, it shows the defense a, a run heavy set, if you will. But then the ability to throw the ball also and into spaces that you don't always feel like you have to throw deep balls, post routes, corner routes. You can throw some intermediate passes. They're a little bit uh, safer and uh, help your quarterback get rhythm. Uh, and, and ours is a sophomore, but, you know, he, he didn't play like one today or, yes, or excuse me, on Thursday. I would be remiss, and I don't remember the exact chronological time. It was going towards the field house in the south end zone. Uh, Barrett Hudson had a hurdle, if I remember. I just remember, again, I'm doing the memorial broadcast. I'm trying to remain professional. But in my, I wanted to just let out a, a, a yell of excitement because, I mean, it was it was like you see on, on Saturdays and Sundays. I mean, Barrett, an incredible athlete, hurdles a corner. It, to me, that kind of, again, swinging this momentum, I'm like, Seven Lakes going to win this game. That, 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 that just felt like such a moment of, wow. And I could see the sideline erupt and react. And so do you, do you recall that moment and kind of <laughs> were you feeling the same thing? I didn't feel um, – I didn't feel probably what the players felt on the sideline. You know, as a coach, you're wearing headphones. It's loud. You sure, have sure. a there at that point. I didn't feel like – uh, the excitement out of them until I talked to them afterwards and yeah. how they felt about that play. That was probably the first thing one of the guys on the bus, I guess, got on Twitter and he goes, coach, look at this. And he showed me the clip and he talked about how the sideline reacted to that. And then I realized that was a big deal to the players. I don't think I realized it in the moment, but I, I realize now it was. Okay. So we go to overtime. Let's talk about that. So for the fans watching, maybe we're thinking the same thing. It, in overtime, traditionally what happens is you don't send your actual captains. You actually send the head coaches. I mean, I, I've been involved in some overtime games in my career, and so the coaches traditionally go out there. It was a really kind of, in my opinion, a long discussion. Can you just, uh, for all of us fans and people in the stands watching, like what, what is discussed uh, in, in, that, in, that, uh, in that little powwow you had of the officials and, and Gary Koch, the head coach at Memorial? It was probably me making it long because – um, at this point, it's 28-28, and I have no idea how many overtimes we're about to have to play here. So I wanted to make sure that I understood exactly how the first one was going to get played, how the yeah. second one, and then the ones beyond that. And, you know, in the first overtime, you're playing, you know, from the positive 25-yard line. Both teams get to play offense and defense, and you're allowed to kick an extra point. The second one, you're playing from the 25, but you're not allowed to kick an extra point if you score. You have to go Ooh. for two. 
And then the third and subsequent ones, you have to go basically a two-point conversion. Right. You know, it's one play for one play, one play for one play. And that LSU A&M game of sure. a few years ago kind of caused it the, a rule change um, that, you know, high school football follows NCAA rules for the most part. And at least in Texas, they do. And and so I want I was making sure I understand I understood exactly what was going to happen if this went more than one overtime. I just, you know, it's my it was my first game of the year, too. I just wanted yeah. to make sure that I understood sure. and I was prepared uh, so I could prepare the team. And, you know, I guess the, the traditional rule of thumb or the traditional logic is you, you typically if you win the flip, you want to play on defense first so that, you know, you know what you need to get. But I was actually saying, man, if I'm seven lakes, I want the ball because I feel like you had taken the, the, the fight a little bit out of Memorial's defense. And I was like, man, if you give them another dose of Jake, uh, Jake Ferris and, and Barrett Hudson right here, I think we're going to walk into the end zone, which is what happened. But I'm just curious what what happened? Who won the flip and, and, and what, how did that all uh, transpire? Yeah, that uh, Coach Koch won the flip. You know, visiting visiting team is going to call it. He 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 called it and won it. Chose defense like you would expect. Okay. And so yeah. I wasn't too upset to go on offense first. Of course, yeah. I probably would have done the traditional thing and went on defense first. But okay. I wasn't upset that 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 we went um, on offense first because it was nice to you know to go ahead and punch one in in three plays. And then that I mean that drive was a thing of pure beauty. And I mean, as much as I love talking about the two headed monster and Barrett and Jake ran hard. You'd be remiss not to talk about the, the the big guys up front, and this is what I played in high school. And so I, I love these guys, but I mean, you know, you got Jaden Young at center, uh, Xander Taylor, right guard, uh, left tackle Jason Manrique, uh, left guard Matthew Strakey, and right tackle Jason Schroeder. I mean, those those are at least the five starters. I don't know if others mixed in, but can you can you just talk about the O line? I, I hope I hope they got a big ovation on the bus ride home and everything because they were a pivotal part of this victory. Yeah, absolutely. They. Did outstanding, you know, for, for four of the five, uh, it was their first varsity start. Oh, you know, wow. Jaden Young, yeah. Young being, you know, a guy that started all 10 games last year, but he was the only returner. Um, and we, you know, we and three of them were juniors, you know, Xander Taylor is a senior, but so we have two seniors and three juniors. And so uh, they did a great job of not, of, of, of taking and being physical against a pretty physical defensive line of, of Memorial. Uh, Matthew Strachey did a great job at left guard with uh, the, the, uh, the, his ability to pull. Yes, he did. Up in the yeah. hole. And I was real, a real prize, a real pleased with his athleticism uh, at left guard. Let's talk about the defense. I mean, they, they forced several turnovers. They, they, they had two interceptions on the evening and a fumble recovery, but the biggest one came at the end of the game. I don't remember exactly everything, but I felt like it was kind of like a bootleg type of action moving down towards the Seven Lakes sideline. The pass is initially deflected. I don't know if it was maybe Hooks that got his mitts on it or who it was, but it's deflected and then eventually intercepted by Keaton Fowler-Smith. So that, that's what I recall. But can you just talk about that, that, uh, that last play there to seal the victory? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh... I'm not sure if the, the play was designed to flush out to the left or not, but it did. The play kind of flushed out to the quarterback's left. Um, you know, now looking at it, you're glad it went to his left because that makes it a harder throw for the right-handed quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a pretty, like, you know, looking back on film, there there wasn't many – there wasn't anybody open, really. And so he's kind of forced it. We did get a hand on it. Keaton Fowler-Smith come underneath the receiver and, and make the play. Um, it was a huge way to seal the deal. Uh, right there without because I think it was third down right there and they would have had one more chance uh, so it was nice to only give them three chances right there and they didn't you know if I recall correctly I believe it was like third and nine or third and ten they hard they didn't move the ball much on first and second down so, correct 
Uh, yeah, I remember Cox. Trip Cox. I want to recognize Trip Cox. He on that first play, and that kind of changed the whole dynamic of the overtime. Trip Cox gets tons of penetration and makes a tackle for a loss, and that was huge. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a whole lot easier to call a play second and four than the second eleven. Yes. You know, so uh, that it kind of puts you in a different mindset as an offensive play caller when that happens. As soon as the inter- as soon as the interception happened, Jimmy, in my head, you know, you know how you as coaches were thinking, go down. And the thing that I saw that I was really impressed by your staff, and of course, you know, Keaton Fowler-Smith, I mean, he did a great job, but he starts returning it. But immediately I saw all of your coaches emphatically yelling, go down, go down, go down. And to Keaton's credit, he he listens and he goes down. So for, so for parents wondering, why didn't he run it back? Well, the reason is there's the chance that he may fumble it. This has happened many a time. I remember the uh, Ohio State-Miami game in that national championship many years ago. Uh, Maurice Claire was able to poke the ball out uh, after an interception, you know? So that was smart. Is that, I'm sure that is something you've worked on. Cause I can see the coaches all immediately, you know, signaling to go down. But can, can you talk about that last strategic move to have Keaton go down instead of trying to return that? And when you talked, if you were to talk to Keaton, which we did afterwards, you know, we thought it took too long. You know, he did. He did start returning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we wanted him down immediately. And yes. It took a little bit to get him down, but he said, "Coach, there was nothing but green grass in front of me. I thought I was going to score." And, and, and but the problem right, is, people come from behind sometimes, Keaton. That's. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, when you're a high school junior and, you, and yeah. you're a defensive back and you don't get many chances to score, you want to sure. take them. But, but you know, most importantly, we wanted to win and. You know, he did listen. He said, like, I saw all y'all telling me to go down, so I figured I should. So <laughs> he did. Um, we would have liked it to happen a little bit sooner, take a little bit of stress and nervousness out of us after he caught that ball. Uh, but we sure were glad he did, he did what we was asked to do. Yeah, Keaton played a great game. They're really, really excited for him in that moment. But that's that's the scoring recap. Let's go through some of the numbers here. 20 first downs. So, again, just grinding Memorial down into the turf at Legacy Stadium. 46 rushes for 268 yards. I think if I would have asked you, Jimmy Hammond, how do you want this game to play out? I think you would have probably told me, Kovo, like, I'd like about 270 yards of rushing on 45, 50 carries, and you, you pretty much accomplished it. 220 yards of passing. Well, look at the balance. 268 rushing, 220 passing. I know that's something that you're very big on. And then efficiency in the passing game. 14 of 26 so really nice completion percentage. Most importantly, zero interceptions, zero turnovers at all. So we never turned it over. We took three from the Mustangs in an overtime game. That's a huge difference. So as far as some of these big stats, do you want to speak to any of those that really stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, you know, we I think that that run pass breakdowns around 60-40, and that's probably where we want to be with the type of offense we are and the type of backs we have. Um, we definitely are going to need to throw the ball. You can't be one-dimensional in, in 6A football in the state of Texas. Um, and so we're able to, you know, use some of our play action. And then also Sean does a good job of, of uh, in the quick game, too, of getting the ball out of his hands and keeping the defensive backs honest. And it helps, you know, th- uh, change your, your first down tendencies of – continuously running the ball on first down. It's nice to be able to raise up and throw a, throw a stop route or a slap route, and, you know, pick up six, eight yards and, and, and get yourself in, in a good second down situation. Um, you know, when you're going to run the ball 46 times, you got to have two guys to, to carry the load. I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's one guy that's going to handle 46 carries, you know, in, in one game. So you got to have two guys to be able to do that. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I think the other thing, uh, maybe you'll talk about later is I think Sean did a good job of distributing the football, 14 completions, I believe to six or seven different people. Yeah. Uh, so that was nice. You know, yeah, I'm sure, he, I'm sure deep down he might have a favorite receiver. But one thing you like about Sean is he's going to go, the ball's going to go where it's supposed to go. Yeah. Uh, no matter who, who's it supposed to go to. 
So 488 total yards of offense. So great day at the office for, for our Seven Lakes Spartan offense. But again, the penalties, five penalties for 45 yards, that's not bad. Of course, I know Jimmy Hammond never wants to have any of them, but in a scope of a football game, five for 45 is not bad. And you factor in just kind of the incredible emotion of that personal foul. If you take that away, which is kind of an unusual you know, penalty, it's four penalties for 30 yards in the rest of the flow of the game. That's and really Kobo, Honestly, we we took a delay of the game on purpose. We call we called a play on offense, and we we did not really want to run that play. We wanted to move back in order to punt. So like right. I don't even count that one against the players. That that was a strategic move. Yeah. To, to move backwards in order to punt. So really, and if you if you take those away, you know, and not that we can, but if if we do that, that's that's three penalties for twenty five yards. I mean, how do you? Is there a way, Jimmy? That is this something that you work on? Do you, do you feel like that the penalties sometimes they can't be helped? They just happen in a game, or do you feel like you've actively worked on the penalties to get get it so low here on on game number one? I think I, I mean you know holding's going to happen. Those things happen. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, well, I think what we've worked on is the dead ball penalties, the false starts. Uh, what we've worked on is is like the after the whistle penalties of like an unsportsmanlike conduct is really emphasizing how those are are you know huge momentum swingers and uh, moves your team backwards you know so we really harped on those that I feel like are way more controllable you know you're gonna hold sometimes it, it's it's football you're gonna hold sometimes you know you're gonna jump off sides sometimes because of a because of a hard count, but those are the ones you try to avoid. Sure. Uh, I think some of the ones that are just like effort plays, like pass interference seems subjective, right? Now, you know, yeah. it's just, if you're, you're, you're playing with great effort to go get a ball and they get you on a defensive pass interference. Well, I'd rather have that than a personal foul any day, you know? So Agreed. I think what we've really focused on is, is the, is the ones that you feel like you control better you know, the procedural penalties pre-snap, and then, of course, the, the emotional penalties post-snap. I, w- I would include face masks for me back in the day, you know, because, I mean, unless they're – sometimes you can tell they're premeditated, but most times it's just – a it just happens sometimes. And so, uh, yeah, I totally agree with you on your assessment there. But great job limiting those penalties. As far as individual offensive statistics, we've talked about Sean Patel, 14 of 26, 220 yards. But I think even most impressive, three touchdowns on his first ever uh, varsity football game. So we've talked quite a bit about that. Let's look at the rushing because this – this really was a lot of the game was won in, in this area of the game. Jake Ferris, 20 carries, 110 yards. Donye Lake, two carries for six yards. He kind of he's helping you power that that jet sweep game that you mentioned. Barrett Hudson, the senior captain, 21 carries, 161 yards. I think I was trying to do the math before the show, Jimmy. I think that was we came out to like 7.6 yards per carry. Uh, what? is that like to have two guys go over a hundred yards together in one game? I mean, not many coaches can, can say that they've experienced that. Yeah. What's nice about it is not feeling like you have to come off the run to give one of the backs a break. And so, you know, you have, you have two or three carries, then you can put a fresh guy in for two or three carries, you know, maybe some passes mixed in, in there. And then you got another back ready waiting for his two or three or four carries in a row. So it's just like the, the, you know, you talk about complementary football offense and defense. That's complementary football in the rushing attack, and it's really nice because I always feel like, you know, I know they're not fresh legs, but they're not exhausted. Seven, eight, nine carries out of a drive, right? You know, so you can go back and forth with them that way, and they're and they're both ready. Like they know it's coming, and they know that. And I think one thing I think goes unnoticed is like I'm going to go hard for these 
next six plays that I'm going to get. Three of them may come to me, but I, I'm going to get a break here in a second. Yeah. And, you know, my my teammate's going to come in and do the job, and he's going to go hard for six, seven plays until it's my turn again. There's one thing I mentioned to you, Jimmy, that I thought was most impressive about your game when we were chatting afterwards. I thought your substitution patterns. I felt like you were subbing quite a bit more offensively, at least, you know, than Memorial was. And I remember talking, like, in my head, I'm like, this is going to pay off in the fourth quarter. And it really did. I think it paid off in spades. And I find it interesting that the Jake Ferris and Barrett Hudson duo, 20 carries and 21 carries. So it's not like it's a one and a two. I mean, you they are really, honestly, like, balancing out almost identically. And I've watched a lot for body language, like, Sometimes when you see a player subbed out, they're going to hang their head or be kind of upset. But, like, that's not – doesn't feel like the case in your situation. Like, they just run on and off, and you can tell they're pulling for each other. And, I mean, it's just a really – really impressive the body language, I guess, of, of that arrangement you have. Because, you know, I, I think that's something you guys have worked on, and kudos to them for buying into it. It's really paying off for you. I, I really think that they believe that they're better because of each other. Absolutely. You know, um, you know if one guy had to carry the ball 41 times, could he, could he, could he go at that, at sure. that level? You know, and so uh, the ability, I think they realize, like, he makes me better by giving me a little bit of a break, and I'm going to make him better by giving him a little bit of a break. And then Davis Yates was also credited for one uh, carry for nine yards, and the touchdowns uh, rushing went to Jake Ferris and Barrett Hudson. Let's look at those receiving stats, Jimmy. I know that's something you were really proud of. The, the 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 spray chart, so to speak, here, as far as getting lots of guys involved. Kaiser Floyd, one catch for seven yards. Barrett Hudson, two catches for 18 yards, showing off his receiving skills. Davis Yates again, two carries for 16 yards. Owen Wade, three catches for 15. Uh, Carter Hatton, three catches, 66 yards, and a touchdown. Peter Noonan had the 10-yard touchdown reception. And then Ryan Fowler, three catches for 99 yards and a score. That that's a lot. That that's really impressive. Getting a lot of guys involved. Can you just speak to how how that uh, how that makes you feel getting that kind of uh, involvement in your offense uh, receiving wise? Yeah, you know, when you anytime that that you can spread the ball like that, you think about what that means down the road for the opponents that scout you and that are going to play you, and they can't overplay any one player because you're willing to throw the ball to anybody. You know, you have like multiple receivers with catches. You have multiple tight ends with catches. There's not like one guy that you're going to roll your coverage to and say, if I take him away, they can't throw. Um, and so that's probably the part I'm proud of most is, and, and then Sean's ability to, to distribute the ball so that, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, as a coach, you, you try not to care about it, but it's nice when you get multiple players touches, they feel involved in the offense and they keep realizing that, Hey, th if I run hard on this slant route that I'm running, the ball may come to me it, as opposed to I'm going to run this slant route a hundred times. I'm never going to get it. And so that, that's really nice, I think, from, from the player's perspective. Um, you know, I don't care who catches the ball, but it sure is nice when it goes to a lot of different players, mainly because uh, the defense has to stay a little more honest. And before we talk about uh, defense, let's talk about specialists. Uh, uh, Alex uh, Farinez, perfect on extra points. And you ran him out there attempting a game-winning kick. It was over 40 yards. I don't remember exactly. So – didn't make the kick, but that spoke to me a lot about your confidence in his range to, to attempt that kick. So Alex had a good night at the office. And of course, the punting duties were handled by Colin Mills, did a good job, uh, four punts, 130 yards. So do you just want to speak uh, on, on your specialist performance uh, on Thursday night? Yeah, so um, Alex did our, did our kickoffs last year, but he did not do our field goal kicking. So it's nice to go five for five. Uh, you know, in high school football, that can't be taken for granted sure. uh, to go five for five. And 
put the ball really right through right through the middle, and that was great. And Colin Mills did a good job. He fielded a low snap once, too, and, and did a good job of getting that ball off. He's athletic back there. He does play baseball. He's our backup quarterback, so there's a lot of, like, things he does well. It's nice to have a guy like him back there punting the ball. And, and uh, you know, I know he tried – he wanted to pin them deep that one time that we had uh, taken the delay a game, but just – just reached the end zone. Um, so that's something we'll work on a little more direction and uh, a little more height on that one would have been nice. But he, he did a great, real good job getting the ball off and, and uh, giving us a chance to uh, flip the field. And Jimmy, you know, I know some of the Spartan crazies listen to this show and they're some of our biggest supporters. Whenever we put an episode, they're always so, you know, so uh, supportive in their comments on Twitter. So I'm, I'm partially joking here. I'm not trying to start any kind of controversy, but free Gary Dang. Let Gary Dang cook. I want to see a Gary Dang get a carry. And I'm, I'm joking because I, I know Gary is a former offensive lineman. I, he buys into what he's doing. And let me tell you. Gary Dang on those top uh, power toss plays was huge kicking out that end all night long. So Gary played a great game, but I got to ask for the fans, Jimmy, because I'm the mouthpiece for the fans. When are we going to see a Gary Dang carry in here? <laughs> I, I bet you'll actually see a Gary Dang reception maybe before you see a love Gary it, Dang love carry. It, love it. But uh, uh, don't give away all our trade secrets. Maybe we I know. I should. I'm just – yeah, I just want the fans to, because I know they're going to probably start making signs and chanting, Gary, Gary. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, okay, let's talk about the defense, Jimmy. A good good performance and a really – you wanted this. You wanted a physical team like Memorial, a team that has an athlete, a quarterback as well. You know, you know uh, he, he was able to move, and he, I think he's a baseball player as well, two-sports star. So they had speed at running back, speed at receiver, quarterback that could move, big offensive line, you know, big six-foot-five right tackle. I mean – I think the defense really, really did a very admirable job. As far as on the stat sheet, uh, they were led by Amani Hooks with six total tackles on the night. Tackles for loss, I mentioned that Trip Cox tackle for loss was huge. So he led on the tackles for losses along with Patricio Diaz and Derek Ferguson also pitched in with a half TFL. QB pressures went to uh, Gage Garner and Satin Hayes and a forced fumble also by Amani Hooks. He was very active. Austin Easterling dove on that fumble. Interceptions made by Justin Fowler and Keaton uh, Fowler-Smith for the uh, touchdown, or excuse me, for the, the game-winning interception. What do you, I mean, a lot of things I, I laid out there, but just defensively in general, certain things, who, who would you like to, what would you like to, to uh, point out about your defensive performance? I think Trip Cox had a great game, you know, uh, you know, dominating the line of scrimmage, making plays as a defensive lineman. Uh, that, 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 that was good, I think. Uh, Justin Fowler did a really good job in his first varsity start um, of, of, of his not just his ability to plug the gaps in the run, but he, he had some really nice pass drops, and that caused the first interception because he really got underneath a, a kind of a, a drag route. Uh, so he did a really good job uh, there. Amani Hooks, you know, I think that his experience from last year as a sophomore really showed up. He played so much faster and so much fit more physical this year. So it was really nice to see that out of out of Amani. Um, so real happy with with those guys. And of course, Austin's a tough, tough nosed football player. So Austin Easterling had a great game, too. And I was telling you and, and Phil Dober this after the game. I mean, Easterling's conditioning is elite. I mean, this is the end of the game. Everybody is dog tired. After your defense got a stop, he went sprinting over to the offense into the offensive huddle and was screaming and carrying on and just trying to get them fired up. Kind of what you said about Barrett Hudson. And so that was really impressive to me to have another one of your captains just being such a a, a visual and vocal leader. Um, can you speak to that as well? Just just the the, the leadership quality that, that Easterling brings. Yeah, Austin is just he's just one of those players that. You know, for when you get a player like him over a four-year career, over a four-year career, you just, you know, it's it's why you coach. You yeah. know, it's it's to be able to 
to be around guys like that that love the game, um, that love their teammates, that that want to see their school succeed on the field. And that's exactly what what he does and what he cares about. And, you know, Austin doesn't have an ego and Austin's going to be, um, you know, happy for how whoever uh, gets the job done. He happened to you know, be one of the guys who's able to get the job done himself, but he would be happy for anybody getting the job done. Uh, so, so, so such a great attitude. Really glad he's one of our captains. And, you know, last thing to recognize here, just, you know, yourself as a former math teacher, you're very analytically driven. So fans that are listening may find this interesting. You do keep some non-traditional that maybe called next gen stats. The one that I like to always point out is you're, you're tracking defensively uh, your points per possession. So on 10 possessions, you yielded 21 points defensively. One of them came via special teams. So uh, 10, you know, 10 possessions, 21 points, that's 2.1 points per possession. The Memorial Mustangs were able to generate offensively. Your goal is to keep that number under three. And so mission accomplished. Can you just talk about uh, just for maybe parents that are interested and, and like this analytical side of the game, it's getting so much more analytical these days. What, what is it? What, what prompted you to kind of keep these stats in, in the first place? And then what do you, what do you gain from looking at football in this mathematical kind of way? Um, I guess what prompted us is just the, just the style of game because you see such the up-tempo offense. I know we don't play it, but you see an up-tempo offense all the time. And sometimes it's hard to like point uh, just like your points per game doesn't feel like you might give up 40 points, but you defended 95 plays. Right. You know, right, so right. it helps you feel like uh, it takes into account how much you were on the field and how much that affects your, you know, your conditioning. Like guys, we defended 95 plays and yet the, you know, obviously the more plays that they get, the more opportunities they are going to have to score, which is kind of why we play offense the way we do is to not allow that to happen to shorten the game a little bit for the opposing offense. Um, but I think that's one thing that kind of prompted and leading it to us is the, it's the hurry up, no huddle, fast tempo offenses that make you have to think about defense a little bit different. Now, that was a lot of fun taking the trip down memory lane and hope everyone enjoyed it. But I think another reason people enjoy tuning into this is you do a great job giving us a preview of what's next. And so we celebrated, but we're done celebrating. We're already looking ahead. We're thinking about the Klein Bearcats. We dropped a three-point decision to them last year, 44 to 41. And now we're going to go out to their place, out to Memorial Stadium and, uh, at the campus of Klein High School. Talk to us as you... You haven't done your full film study yet. That's going to happen tomorrow on Sunday as you put together your game plan. But just from your initial scouting of them, you watched them take on the Marshall Buffaloes. What, what did you see from Klein? I saw a new defensive structure. Uh, they were a 3-3 stack or, you know, some in might think of the Iowa State Cyclones being that three high safety look. Um, they did not play that last year. So that was actually um, something that we were surprised to see. I think they have a defensively have a, a good – uh, rotation of defensive linemen that can get the job done in play. Um, a lot of times they're playing what, what we would call like a three cloud coverage. They have kind of three safeties over the top playing cover three and then kind of hard corners. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a little bit different structure than what we're, than, than what you see. Now you're start, starting to see it more and more mm -hmm. uh, because it's become kind of in vogue and, and kind of the thing to do. Uh, but we haven't, we haven't seen them do that. Uh, in the times we played then. And offensively, they look like Klein. You know, they're going to be in the shotgun. They're going to uh, play with uh, a fullback and three receivers and one back. You know, you might call it 20 personnel. Um, not going to have an attached tight end very often, but they're going to have a fullback that's going to act as such you know, in a, you know, one-by-one -one off the tackle wing position. Um, they're going to run, you know, some of the traditional two-back um, plays that you would expect a, a, a power running football. You're going to run counter. 
They're going to run power. But one thing they do uh, out of theirs is a little bit different. They got a great athlete at quarterback, and they ran – I felt like they ran the quarterback more than they ran the running backs. I don't have the breakdown just in front of me yet, but uh, just getting a feel of watching the game, they really want to use their quarterback in the run game. So that will be different than what we saw this past week. Now, Jimmy, you know, as some of the people may know that listen to the show, I'm a big Michigan football fan, and I see some parallels between this matchup with the Michigan matchup of TCU. Michigan ran the football dominantly all year, won the, the, the uh, Joe Moore Award for best offensive line, and everybody was saying, oh, TCU runs this 3-3 stack. There's not enough big bodies in there. Michigan's going to run all over them. Not so fast, my friend. If everybody's flying in and folding into the football, it can be very hard to run the football against these guys. I know you have not done your full film study. You've not talked over with your coaches yet as far as your plan for tomorrow. But just in general, some fans may be interested in this. Do you see you know, potential problems from this kind of a little bit unusual, less seen at the high school level defensive structure as far as your blocking assignments? I mean, could we maybe anticipate some of that? Or I'm just curious your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think the the key thing that what I'm starting to realize the more we've seen this type of defense is how do their safeties involve themselves in the run game? Because, you know, if you just looked at, if you just paused from like a wide angle, you might only see six in the box. Right. And so it's how do their safeties involve themselves in the run game? And then now, like, you know, in a traditional 4-3, or 3-4 or defense, you might not scheme to block a safety, and now you're going to have to. Right. And, and, and you're not sure which one it's going to be. Is it going to be the middle safety dropping in the box? Is it going to be one of the, the you know, uh, outside or, or boundary and field safeties that are going to drop into the box? Um, and then how are they going to adjust? Like, we, you know, we saw them play Marshall that didn't play with a tight end a ton. They did play with the tight end some, but we're almost always going to play with the tight end. And how are they going to adjust to us? playing with a tight end or two tight ends in the game. And so that's going to be the question mark of how they're going to adjust their 3-3 stack to a, a more traditional power, you know, 21 and 12 personnel football team. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be very intriguing to watch that matchup. And as we tip as we traditionally do towards the end of the show, let's talk about the future. Let's recognize all those players working hard at the sub varsity levels. I believe we had a pretty successful uh, week of, of matches, uh, uh, games against the Memorial Mustangs. Can you kind of give us a recap of how the JV and freshman teams did? Yeah, our JV Blue uh, beat beat Memorial 33-0. Uh, wow. So that, that was that was a nice dominant. We had, you know, three backs, uh, Dominic Davis, Apollo Lemma. Edgar Varela, all score touchdowns in that game. Defense wow. pissed shut out. So you got to love when that happens. Uh, we lost with the JV Orange, uh, 12 to 14. Mm. Uh, played really well. Uh, stalled, stalled down there in the in the opening drive. Really like good eight minute opening drive. Kind of stalled down there um, and didn't get a score that we probably needed in order to win. And then with our freshman uh, blue team, we lost 21, uh, 12 to 21. Uh, freshman Orange team lost two to seven. Um, so, you know, it was really, that was what you might, the kind of score you might've expected out of varsity yeah, uh, <laughs> right, right there. Uh, so both of them played well, but you know, it was our first game against somebody else. And the, you know, one thing I've really noticed for our freshman team is you, they've had two scrimmages and now their first game, first high school game, you know, the, the amount of improvement from the Klein Kane scrimmage to the Dickinson scrimmage to now Memorial first game, the tackling has got way better We're more crisp on offense. We, uh, our offensive lineman's ability to block it, like they're moving in the right direction and getting their hands on people and blocking people a whole lot better. Um, whereas before, you know, on the tackling side, we might've reached for a guy and used some arm tackling. Mm -hmm. uh, now we're trying to put our shoulder pads on people and you can tell they're, they're learning uh, how to play at the high school level. 
And finally, Jimmy, last question. I know during the first week, we did have some changed game times due to you know the, the excessive heat. Has there been a decision reached that we can start talking about as far as this coming week? Are we re- reverting back to the original times, or are we still un- unsure? Yeah, right now, they're as scheduled. I, I, uh, I would not be surprised to see the sub-varsity time switch to 6 and 7.30 at each campus. Um, JV is at Seven Lakes, and freshmen are at Klein. Uh, right now, that has not been the case. I mean, we – you know, if you look ahead at the weather forecast, you're still going to see, you know, close to 100 degree temperatures. And so I think that's going to, it's going to kind of depend um, how the weather uh, continues, you know, to, to, is it going to heat up or are we going to see a little bit of a cool off um, to play those games at 4:30 and six instead of six and seven 30. So I'm, I'm prepared for them to change, but as of right now, they haven't. And if you're listening to this now, I mean, depending on when in the week you're listening, you know, things could change. So please continue to, to check uh, the Twitter page, you know, for the for the team and, and, and KDISD. But just be aware uh, in case things do change, if things do change. And also, I guess one thing that a lot of times coaches deal with is, is the Labor Day practice. Uh, sometimes parents maybe not understanding that if there is a practice, do you want to maybe if parents are listening now, do you want to speak to that a little bit? What the if we do have plans for practice on Labor Day? Well, coach, we got lucky. We have the Labor Day weekend falls on our open week. Uh, oh. So we're going to we're going to be able to take the holiday off on Monday. OK, great. Yeah. So that's going to work out for us. Uh, but we definitely will practice you know, during an open week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But we'll get the Monday off since we okay. don't actually play a game that week. All right. Well, excellent, Coach. Well, thanks again for, for allowing us to relive that. I think all the Spartan fans tuning in really enjoyed that that uh, that recap of the Memorial game. And uh as far as for Klein, so just just so we can recap it, what what right now is the varsity game time and location for Klein? Right, we're at Klein Memorial Stadium on Thursday. Um, the date on Thursday, I got to check the calendar real quick, make sure I tell you the right date. It's the thirty first, August thirty first. Uh, right now, game time seven o'clock. Have not heard of any changes just yet. Um, you know, it's going to be hot at seven. It's going to be hot at eight. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll see what Klein decides to do. But right now, at seven o'clock at Klein Memorial on Thursday, the thirty first. All right, Spartan Nation, let's get in our cars. Let's get out there. Let's be loud and be proud and go Spartans.